And if you will open your copy of the Scriptures to Acts chapter 27. We will be reading the entire chapter, but not to worry. It is very exciting. Please give your attention to God's holy word. And also notice before I begin reading that um, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, has joined Paul is with him in this ship, and so uh, it makes it all the more compelling. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustinian cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adoritatum, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to his friends to be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea, along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Mara in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off, the, off of Sindus. Uh, and as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete for Salmon. Coasting along, uh, coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage um, will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid no, or paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called a nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under a lee, under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that it would run aground on Sirtis, uh, uh, they lured the gear, and thus they were driven along. 
Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. No one likes a see I told you so kind of guy, but apparently this is what Paul's doing. Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, uh, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms, and fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lighted the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which, uh, on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the forestall, her foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest they should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from, being, from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are a faithful God and that Your promises to us are always yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And just as You promised all those who stayed in the ship 
would be uh, safely brought to shore. So all we who are safely in the arms of Jesus will be brought uh, safely into your eternal and ever-blessed kingdom. So be with us this morning and give us insight uh, into your word and help us to grow as a result of being under the ministry of your word. Help us to grow in our faith and trust in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, I would have this recurring dream. And just to let you know, I was born in 1967. Um, to kind of give you a, a, a reference point there. Uh, but my recurring dream would be that the Russians had invaded America and that they had actually, before we, when they, my first knowledge of them invading um, America was that they were walking across uh, the field towards my home. And I was just terrified. And, I, and in my dream, every time I would have it, I would have it probably once a week, I would rush out of my house, I would rush through this little patch of woods and back about a 30, after about 30 yards, it opened up into this, this uh, gigantic soybean field. And, and we did have the soybean field behind my house. And... Um, so I would skirt along the, the edge of the soybean field and then I would duck back into the woods and I would uh, crawl into one of the gullies and I would begin to panic and I would say, what do I do now? How do I rescue my parents and, and my little brother? Um, and at, at this point I must have woken up fairly consistently because I don't know the rest of the dream. I don't know what I ended up doing to rescue them. And it must have been a common nightmare because um, as I grew up, uh, I, I realized when they made the movie Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze, it was, it was like a, a picture there of this recurring nightmare that I would have as a small child. I assume most of us, if not all of us, have had nightmares where we were trapped in an impossible situation and the terror of the moment was just paralyzing. And I think what makes these nightmares particularly terrifying, or terrifying, terrifying is the knowledge that a real-life uh, nightmare scenario could play out in our lives. Um, I couldn't help but think of the people on that ship in Italy uh, that wrecked uh, just off the coast a couple of weeks ago. The, the ship was, was called the Costa Concordia. It was a cruise ship. There were over 4,200 passengers on this ship, and on January 13th, it hit a reef and then flopped over onto its side. Uh, the last I read, uh, 15 people had been confirmed dead. Uh, the first uh, reports of the shipwreck uh, zeroed in on the utter panic and confusion that had taken over the ship when the sh once the ship hit the reef. And of course, we all know now that part of the reason for the confusion was that the captain and, and a lot of the crew had jumped on a, uh, on a, a lifeboat and had abandoned uh, the people without giving them any real direction. And then, once there was panic and couldn't find out what to do, panic is contagious and it turned into every person for themselves. 
the fear on board that ship must have been unbearable. I know that some of you have lived through real life nightmares. Um, the question I want to pose to you this morning is how do you face such circumstances? Especially if the circumstances are completely outside of your control. Are you simply a helpless slave to panic? Is there anything you can do? Of course there is. And Paul here in this particular passage gives us several universal principles that we can and I believe we must employ whenever we go through our own nightmare scenarios. The first thing I want to recommend to you, and I did not put an outline on the back of the bulletin this week. I, I wrestled with this and wrestled with it, and I didn't have a have a piece, and I just decided to leave that blank. But um, the first thing that I would recommend you do is look at the big picture. What do I mean by that? Well, basically, the big picture is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life in Him. This must be a foundational uh, issue in your life. If you've got eternal life, everything else begins to come into focus. The Apostle Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Well, of course the answer is, no, nothing is able to separate you from the love of Christ. And so he says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And then he goes on, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are in Christ, it is not your grip on God that keeps you secure. Rather, it is His grip on you. And nothing can separate you from this life, the apostle, or from the Lord Jesus Christ and from His love, neither death nor life. And having that foundational principle, when you are in a circum, when you are in circumstances that are beyond your control, beyond your ability to endure, you can still say, "I am in God's grip. He will not leave me, even if my breath and my life." should be taken away from me. The Apostle Paul also said in Philippians chapter 1, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die therefore is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for the people that he was ministering to. And so he said, I'm convinced I'll, I'll remain in the flesh even though I desire to depart and be with Christ. He was certain that in Christ he had eternal life. This is one of those foundational principles 
that you should not only have somewhere in the back of your memory, but it should be in four of your thinking. It's one of those guiding principles. In other words, a life wasted in Christ's service is not wasted. A life lost because you follow Christ is not lost. Jim Elliott, the missionary that was killed by the Aka Indians down in South America, before he went uh, on that missionary trip uh, where he lost his life, he used to say this. He used to say, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But in saying that, I also want to alert you that being a Christian will not prevent you from having earthly sorrows and troubles. Many suppose that God will grant them um, smooth journeys through life. He'll grant them fine weather as they sail through life. That God will grant them an easy course that is relatively free from trouble and care. It is important for you to understand that Christ's salvation never secures a person from all the ills and sorrows that are common to this life. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you must reckon on having your fair share of sickness and pain, of sorrow and tears, of losses and crosses, of deaths and bereavements, of disappointments and confusion, so long as you are here in this life. I know most here would prefer to have Christ and good health, to have Christ and plenty of money, to have Christ and no deaths in their family, to have Christ and no cares. But if you believe that God must and that He will give you smooth sailing through this life, you are very wrong. So keep the big picture in front of you. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. And that nothing can separate you from God and from His love as you go through the storms that this life inevitably will bring you. So keep your, keep your eye fixed on the big picture. Secondly, remember God's providence. The Apostle Paul here in this passage he is absolutely certain that God is in control. Look with me at verses 22 through 25. Paul says, Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be... Notice, he doesn't say there might be. He says there will be no life of, loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God... Uh, to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Paul, remember, had been arrested. He appealed to Caesar. God had said, It is my purpose for you in your arrest to proclaim the gospel to Caesar himself. Nothing is going to be able to prevent you from that, from my purpose there. So you will not lose your life. And he says, and behold, God has granted you all those who sell with you. So he says to them, take heart, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. 
Our God is in control of every circumstance, whether they be pleasant or unpleasant circumstances. Matthew chapter 10 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are more valuable than many sparrows. Not one hair will fall from your head apart from the will of God. If even a strand of hair, as insignificant as it is, as easily as it falls from our head, is in God's control. His point is, everything else, every other circumstance that is much more important is firmly in His control as well. A.W. Pink says, If God is not in control of every circumstance, then God's mercy would be but feeble pity, His promises an empty sound. Take the... Well, let me... Let me back up. The pastor who discipled me, he used to say, if you have a small God, you're going to have big problems. And what he means by that is your, your problems are going to seem enormous. But if you have a big God, if you have an infinitely powerful God who is in control of all things then you realize that all your circumstances, all your troubles, all your sorrows, all your bereavements are in God's hands. If you have a big God, your problems shrink proportionately. Nothing takes place by chance. God is the principal cause of all things. This doctrine is an anchor for your soul when you are being driven helplessly by the circumstances of your life. You can know that whatever comes your way is a blessing, even if it comes wrapped with thorns. You can trust God even if the sorrows, the pain, and the terrors are beyond your ability to handle or even endure. God knows your circumstances he knows the, the, the way your heart is thinking about those circumstances. He knows the way forward through those circumstances. Because everything, including the thoughts of your own heart, are in God's hands. So, remember God's providences. Thirdly, renew your faith in God. Again, if you, I want to direct your attention to verses 22 through 25. But I want to direct your attention to, to various phrases. He says, now I urge you to take heart in verse 22. In verse 24, he says, don't be afraid. Again in verse 25, take heart. And then later in verse 25, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. The Apostle Paul knows that this doctrine of God's sovereignty, the fact that he is in control, that it has legs. In other words, that it is practical. God is in control, so take heart. 
God is in control, so don't be afraid. God is in control, so I can have faith in what God has said. And then again also, verse 34, I meant to to, um, direct your attention to it. Uh, in the previous point where he says, Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. How can you know that? God is in control. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus was in the boat with some of his disciples, They were rowing across the Sea of Galilee. Suddenly a great storm um, blew up on the the, uh, sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And where was Jesus? He was asleep in the back of the boat. And they went and woke Him and said, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. You notice what Jesus said to them? You remember, because I'm sure you probably remember, it's been, you've heard it so many times in your life. He says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He rebuked their little faith. Now notice here, They went to the right person. You know, if if you're worried for your life, the best person you can go to is to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there in the boat with them. You would think he would say, okay, I, I commend you for coming to the right place. Instead, he rebukes them for their little faith. They should have known. God is in control. They're being frightened. And it's okay, I think, to to be frightened in one sense. But frightened, out of control, frightened and fearful, He rebukes that. Your Your life is in the hand of God. He is in control. You can trust in Him. And so renew your faith in God when the hard circumstances come. Fourthly and lastly, obey God. Again, He told these people, you will not lose your life, but you must stay in the ship. You must not lose, or you must not leave the ship. And so uh, we had, as they were getting ready to, as, as land was in sight, the sailors um, did what the captain of the Costa Concordia did, tried to slip off, tried to lower the the lifeboat in the water and and slip off uh, without being detected. And Paul said, trusting God, if you leave, you will die. And they trusted Paul's word enough to cut the ropes, let the lifeboat sail away. And the, the point that I'm driving at here is obey God. When God says, obey Him, the nature of our faith says, yes, Lord, I will obey. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Solomon, whom we referred to a little earlier, um, once he had repented, I believe, at the end of his life, 
concluded life this way. He said, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. In your obedience, you are not obeying God in order to gain His blessing. Rather, if you trust in Him, you will obey Him. Remember John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love Me, you will obey My commandments. We don't put enough emphasis on the obedience. The obedience that God calls you to is total. It's unquestioning. But the beauty is, when you obey Him, that's when your life works best. I was teaching our uh, theology class in Sunday school uh, last week that uh, God is the creator of this world. And so it is most reasonable to believe that obeying His commandments is the best way to go. Just like if we took a train and took it off the tracks and put it out in the middle of Lumsden Road. All it would do is chew up the road. It wouldn't go very far, very fast. But you put that train on the confines of the track. And the confines, we don't like that kind of terminology in our, our free age. But you confine it to the confines of the track. Put it in its, um, in its the circumstances in which it was intended. Put it uh, where it belongs. And it glides along and it is most free. As it is, um, as it is guided by the tracks. We are God's creatures. We live in His world. Obey His word. He will give you grace to do so. He will also give you grace, uh, forgiving grace, when you don't obey Him. I want to conclude this morning by having you turn in your hymnals to. Hymn number 32, Great is Thy Faithfulness. The reason why I'm having us turn here is I want to remind you of what happened. The circumstances uh, which led to this, this song, this hymn being written. Thomas Chisholm, the story goes, witnessed his wife and child die in a shipwreck. And in his dealing with the sorrow, reminded himself of God's great love. And he wrote, Great is thy faithfulness. Let me pray and then I'll ask Dale to come up and lead us. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would help us to have the anchor of our soul cast firmly in the promises and in the grace and in the glorious power of our Lord Jesus Christ. For if He died for us on the cross, we can know with, with certainty that He will give us everything we need for life and for godliness, even when life comes at us wrapped in thorns. Father, help us to trust in You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.